The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Proverbs, chapter 1. Last week we introduced the book of Proverbs uh, by looking at just verse 1 and the background of Proverbs, that is the background of the primary author, Solomon, Son of David, king of Israel. So if you missed that last week, uh, I do highly encourage that you go back and listen to that so you can be caught up with our study as, as it will help you uh, to understand the context moving forward. This week, we progress through what is considered to be the preamble of the book. So a preamble is an introductory type of section which gives you tools or gives you clues to help you understand what follows, to help you understand the rest of the book. So that's why we're spending a bit of time in just uh, verses 2 through 6 today, and then next week we'll do an entire sermon only on verse 7 and how it influences our reading of Proverbs. Uh, the preamble we've been given, it tells us the type of work that this is. Th- these are Proverbs, that is, they are short sayings of wisdom. It gives us the author, Solomon, and now we turn our attention to the purpose for which this book is written. Verses, this is driving me crazy, I don't know why it's doing that. Verses 2 through 6 give us the reason that Solomon composed this work. And thus, verses 2 through 6 are very helpful for helping us understand why Proverbs has been preserved for 3,000 years for us to read in this room. So one of the things that you'll notice in verses 2, 3, 4, and 6, they all begin uh, with a, well, you won't notice that there's a Hebrew preposition, but there's a Hebrew preposition that just means to or towards or until. If you're wondering why we chose Proverbs, this paragraph will point you to the goals of the book and therefore the goals for our studying the book. Like what is it that we hope to get out of reading the book of Proverbs. So if you were to sit down with Solomon and ask, why did you write this book? He might answer something like this. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying the words of the wise, and their riddles. Let's pray. Father, we, we come this morning asking for what the Proverbs says that you are the provider of. We ask for wisdom. 
We ask for understanding. We ask for clarity. Father, help me to preach your word according to your wisdom alone and not my opinions. And Father, use this word to create a hunger in us for your wisdom and for relationship with you. Father, we pray, um, God, help us. We're, we're so easily distracted. Uh, Father, we're so easily misguided. And God, we need you in this place right here, right now. And we pray, speak by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to what one commentator writes about verses 2 through 6, about this preamble. This is what he says. He says, chock full of meaty morsels about wisdom, this paragraph is designed to whet the appetite of even the most casual readers. Its synonyms piled one on another are calculated to show wisdom's well-stocked pantry. They are in an instance of the use of, they are an instance of the use of repetition by Hebrew authors to expand and reinforce and enrich the meaning of a concept. It is the accumulative force that conveys the teacher's intention. More than precise nuance of each term, though each word adds something to our understanding of wisdom. So in verses two through six, Solomon provides us with nine distinct terms which are not exactly synonyms of wisdom, but rather they illuminate different aspects of what wisdom means. Also in verses 2 through 6, we are introduced to two different audiences that this book is for. Two audiences that include everyone in this room. So the challenge is, okay, nine different Hebrew terms, two different audiences, uh, four verses. How do we draw out all these nuanced ideas into one sermon? That's a good question. Um, and we'll find the answer by the end of this, hopefully. The goal is to look at each of these words for wisdom and to try to draw out what's, what's the nuance here? What's distinct? What we're trying to do is come up with a comprehensive definition or understanding of if when God calls me to be wise... What's he calling me to be, actually? So the hope is, is that we're going to walk away with seven truths about wisdom from these nine different <coughs> terms. So, let's begin. First phrase, verse 2, to know wisdom. Firstly, the first thing we must notice is that the verb to know in Hebrew often carries with it a more intimate knowledge than our typical use of the word. When we use the word knowledge, we tend to think only in terms of intellectual assent to a particular idea. We tend to think of facts that are floating around in our brain. Hebrew, on the other hand, uses the phrase to know when it refers to what happens between a man and woman on their wedding night. To know someone. To know someone or something goes beyond intellectual assent to something deeper, something more profound, something internalized, something that becomes a part of you, not just external to you. We understand the distinction even in how we use the word knowledge sometimes, right? I mean, I know about the President of the United States, 
but I don't know the President of the United States. Same word, but different nuance. Do you, do you understand? We all might know, or some people in this room might be this kind of person who knows a good bit about God because they attend this church, but do not know God. Knowing about God is not enough to know God into eternity. Similarly, you can know a lot about wisdom. You can know what is wise and what is not wise. But we're not here to just know about wisdom this morning in the book of Proverbs. We approach Proverbs with a knowledge to know wisdom, to be joined to wisdom in such a way that wisdom is the natural response of our inner being when we're thrust into a chaotic situation. It's the type of knowledge we want is that wisdom is such a part of us that it is the natural response we have to a particular conversation. So then that begs the question, okay, we want to know wisdom. Okay, so what is wisdom? All right, so the word for wisdom here is the Hebrew word chokmah. Chokmah, you want to say that with me? Chokmah. You got to have a little to it, you know. I only, so I only reference the, the Hebrew word here uh, because it's somewhat confusing because sometimes in your Bibles it'll say wisdom, but it's not using chokmah. It's using a different word. So we're trying to understand the nuances here. Chokmah is the first noun that the author uses in the preamble. And later in the book, it's the only term used for wisdom when wisdom is personified as this person who's calling you to follow wisdom and to ignore the voice of foolishness. Hokma later in the book is personified as lady wisdom who's calling you to herself as opposed to lady foolishness who's calling you to herself. One path leads to life, one path leads to death. The author wrote Proverbs so that we might know hokma, but what exactly is it? Let me give you some definitions of some guys that are a lot smarter than me, and then let me give you my own definition. Here's a couple commentators on their take of it. One fellow says this, wisdom is the, total, the totalizing concept that seeks to bring all of life's activities into harmony with God's created order. Another author says, in Proverbs, wisdom denotes the skill to navigate through the maze of life so that one conducts life to the greatest benefit to oneself and the community. It is the way of eternal life. And lastly, someone else wrote, wisdom is the broadest, most inclusive term available to depict the combination of, uh, of observation, obedience, careful planning, prudent conduct, conduct, and sensitivity to God's will. Now here's, now here's my definition, shortened definition in the form of truth number one. So if you're a note taker, you would want to write this down. Truth number one, to know wisdom is to know how to live in God's world, God's way. To know how to live in God's world, God's way. Now, the most helpful section of Proverbs that really helped me grasp what this hokmah stuff was actually shows up later in Proverbs 8. We're not going to get to Proverbs 8 until Easter, but here's a little, here's a little bit of a uh, pre, precursor, a little trailer. 
Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. Listen to the way in which Hokmah is described, okay? Proverbs 8, 22. Uh, this, this section puts wisdom as if wisdom's the one speaking here, okay? The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might, tra might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was a daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his, in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 8, is, is described as the stuff by which God created the world. The fabric of the way things work. Wisdom is not something that is just distinct from God, but wisdom is God and God is wisdom. Wisdom flows from God as necessary from his being. Everything that he creates is wisely created, and built into it is a particular way that it works a particular hokmah. It's the equation by which we live for God's glory and for our good and for the good of those around us. We walk in wisdom when we walk according to God's design for creation. His intent for life, life more abundantly, life that goes into eternity. When we walk contrary to the design of the creator, we walk like a fool, which leads to death. So in the broadest sense of what, is it, what does wisdom mean, truth number one, to know wisdom is to live in God's world, God's way. And we'll see this happen in a variety of themes and contexts. I mean, one of the things, themes that we'll see in Proverbs is laziness versus hard work. Part of hokmah is that if you're lazy, you don't eat. If you, if you work, you eat. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to figure out that, do you? That's just built into the fabric of creation, that you work and then you produce something which then serves your needs, right? Hard work equals like you get to eat, right? So having introduced this concept of hokmah, or this fabric of the way life works in God's world, now the author begins to apply these interrelated terms to help you understand all of the beautiful nuances of living God's way in God's world. All right, back to verse 2. We've made it through the, the first um, prepositional phrase, to know <laughs> wisdom <laughs> and instruction. Instruction. Now, Proverbs is not shy about what it will take for you to become a wise person. The obvious assumption of the book is that, is that it is not our natural demeanor or disposition to walk in wisdom. There is a force always pulling our souls toward foolishness and away for wisdom. The curse of sin that corrupted the world and humanity has had this effect that we are born foolish. 
We are not born wise. Wisdom is learned. It's not natural to us. You didn't, none of you had to teach your children to be lazy, right? You didn't, have to, you didn't have to ingrain that in them. You didn't have to teach them to lie. No, you had to teach them the opposite. You have to pull them toward wisdom and away from foolishness. We need instruction. Wisdom, therefore, is the process of undoing what we naturally are apart from the grace of God. But that word for instruction, instruction, it conveys more than just the verbal communication of, of true things. One commentator writes this, um, the Hebrew word for instruction, musar there, and the verb yasar have the double meaning of instruct slash reprove or chastise slash beat. <laughs> so this word doesn't just, it's not just the kind of instruction you get from a textbook, it's the kind of instruction you get from a good whooping. So in verse number two, introduction, we want to know wisdom and instruction. We want to know a good whooping. <laughs> Truth number two, wisdom requires instruction that confronts and corrects. So from the beginning of this book, if you want to proceed any farther, right, the author is signaling to the reader, if you want to be a wise person who benefits from God's wisdom rather than the destructive force of foolishness, you better prepare your heart and mind to be told when you're wrong. You better pre prepare your heart and your mind for your sin and your foolishness to be brought to light. Because without it, wisdom will not come. Wisdom is impossible for us unless we're willing and ready to come to terms with and be chastised for our foolishness. Hebrews chapter 12 is a commentary on this concept from Proverbs, right? Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of this instructive discipline of the Lord. It's for discipline that you have to endure, Hebrews 12, 7 God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which, you, which all have participated, then you're Ill illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Illegitimate children are the ones that don't receive discipline. Don't receive instruction that corrects. If you want to be wise, you need to invite this kind of instruction into your life from God and from God's people. I mean, how does God do this? How does God do Hebrews 12 in a practical way? I've never seen a cloud the shape of a hand come and wear my tail out, though I probably deserved it a couple times. So how does, what does discipline look like in real world order? What, what, God always uses means to accomplish his purpose. What means does he use? Well, God 
most often disciplines us and corrects us through good Christian friends who love us enough to warn us when we're choosing a foolish path, who treat us like legitimate children, right? You need wise people in your life who love you enough to expose foolishness in a spirit of gentleness. Otherwise, you will always live as a fool. Fools are always either ignorant or at worst, tolerant to their own foolishness, and they're always too arrogant to receive instruction from anyone else that would suggest otherwise. Fools would rather stay fools than anyone point out that they're being foolish. Christians, if you're in this room and you know that you're making decisions that are contrary to God's way in God's world, I can almost guarantee you that one of the sure signs of your condition is that you will find yourself avoiding the people that you know will tell you the truth. You feel that? When you know you're making a decision that the wise person in your life will call you out on, guess who you're not hanging out with on a Friday night? Seek wisdom. Seek instruction that corrects. This is the theme that we'll come to time and time again throughout the Proverbs. Every one of these words, um, they're just giving you clues as to what is to come. So this sermon, uh, I, th these are snapshots of what's to come. We can't spend long on each topic. Wisdom requires instruction that confronts and corrects. Now turn your attention back to verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Truth number three. Wisdom requires mental understanding of words. <laughs> Now, that may seem simplistic. Uh, that, that may seem too easy, but we cannot ignore this. God gave us a book. The book contains words. Words contain wisdom. If you want to be wise, you've got to understand words. And in order to understand words, you have to read the words. If you don't understand what you read, then that just, that doesn't mean all of a sudden you get a pass from understanding words of wisdom. I've had this conversation time and time, I'm not really a reader, or I, I'm, I'm a little on the dyslexic side, or it's really hard for me to focus. And, and the expect, expected response, what they want from me is like, oh, okay, you, you get a pass. But the right response is, you're going to have to work a lot harder than everybody else, aren't you? You're going to have to work a lot harder than everybody else to, to relish in the benefits of the words of God. If you don't understand what you read, give yourself to the tools and resources and people around you that will help you to think about the words of life. Wisdom is walking in God's world, God's way, but how do we know what God's way is? Why is the man happy, blessed, and prosperous in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Wisdom will not come to you. Unless you see God's word as the stream by which you have to plant yourself. 
day in and day out. They are the tools by which we live wisely. So if you want the benefits of the flourishing leaves by the streams of water, give yourself to the hard work of understanding words of insight. In fact, the emphasis of this is there's a sandwich in verses 2 through 6 um, that, that sort of bookend both sides. You look to verse 6, it uses the same word again, to understand a proverb, a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. These are, he's literally referencing different kinds of literature inspired by God in order for you to understand life in God's world. So take advantage of the opportunity. Shameless plug, community group, training classes. Truth number three, wisdom requires mental understanding of words. All right, we finished verse two. Verse three. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, the word instruction is repeated here again, but this time a new Hebrew word is used for wisdom. This time the word is sikal. The nuance is that this is the kind of wisdom or choice or action that brings about a desired result, okay? So this is the kind of wisdom where you've got options before you and you know how to make a choice which brings benefit, not just to yourself, but to everyone involved in the situation. Do you get the distinction? You get the, the slight nuance? The call is that wisdom to know this action leads to this kind of result for everyone. It is to have success because of your understanding and wise choice. And this is why your English version, English Standard Version, uh, translates this wise dealing. It's, it's the kind of wise dealings that, that bring good results to not just you but others. Truth number four, wisdom has communal consequences. Wisdom has communal consequences. So in this case, those benefits or those wise dealings, he lists a couple. Like if you're wise, these are the types of things that will flow from you in your life. So your dealings will be in righteousness, which means you're doing what is correct, honest, right, and loyal to the community. It, it contributes to the well-being, the rightness of the group. Your dealings will be in the realm of justice. It means you make good judgments, good decisions in regard to what brings benefit for your dealings to be in equity means that you deal fairly with others. You have integrity when you're dealing with all kinds of people. You notice how each one of these words has, has an external effect to it. Justice is an outward thing that goes out to others. You want a wise judge in the courtroom, do you not? You want a wise teacher in the classroom. You want a wise doctor in the ER, a, a wise police officer when he arrives to a call, a wise parent who teaches their children. Our wisdom or our lack of wisdom always affects the people around us, either positively or negatively. Always. Sikal is the ability to make decisions for the sake of your loved ones. And if you're a careful Hebrew Bible reader, as Solomon was you will know that this exact word for wisdom has occurred one time in the Old Testament before we got to this place. And you know where it was? 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, sikal, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The failure of Eve in Genesis 3.6 was a failure of sikal, wise dealings. She made decisions based off of what she thought would bring herself the most beneficial results. But she made decisions based off of her own version of wisdom and not God's. And the consequences have been immeasurable. Solomon knew his Bible well. The, the word usage here is not a coincidence. The failure to receive sikal, wise dealings, has catastrophic effects on the people around you. Your children will suffer if you do not receive instruction. Your significant other will suffer if you do not receive instruction. Your employees, your bosses, your friends, your neighbors, your family will suffer if you refuse wise dealings. You realize that you are never an independent actor in life. You are never, no matter how much you even try to be, you're never a totally isolated decider between foolishness and wisdom. Someone is always impacted, either positively or negatively, by your decision to be wise or to be foolish in any given situation. Wisdom has communal consequences. Verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Two new words, two new words, prudence and discretion. Prudence here carries the idea of being cunning or scheming. Uh, one commentator writes this, prudence in English may not quite catch the sharp edge of the Hebrew word orma, which conveys ideas like shrewdness or cleverness or cunning or even to the point of deceit. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 2, same word is used, but it's described as evil devices. Here it's being used positively. Both prudence and discretion are like these words that, that convey a sort of planning they're wisdom-like words, but specifically wisdom in planning, strategizing, and scheming, presumably to evade some kind of enemy or opponent, okay? So, so, so this is the kind of wisdom the general needs as he's about to go into war. He's anticipating the move of the enemy, and then he's arranging the plan before he actually gets there so he can have the victory. A little bit of a nuance. Do you see the, the difference here? Both these words... Prudence and, what was the other one? Prudence and discretion have this idea of prepping for the battle. These words assume that wisdom is not a peacetime pursuit. That it's a wartime pursuit that requires the reader to be, as Jesus says, innocent as a dove, but wise as a serpent. Truth number five, wisdom prepares and plans for enemy assault. The need for you to, in a prudent way, 
plan and to be, have discretion in your scheming becomes clear throughout the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs uh, emphasizes the enemies that will come. I mean, as soon as verse 10, right? Just a few verses later, as soon as verse 10, it's a son, a father warning his son, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. What's he doing? He's preparing his son for the moment of enticement. Wisdom's not a peacetime reality. It's always being attacked. It's, there's always an affrontal coming upon your wisdoms. Later in chapter 5 and 7, foolishness is personified as a temptress standing on the corner, wooing passerbys into her chamber. Proverbs 5.8, the author says, don't even go near the door of her house if she allures you away from God's way in God's world. In other words, plan, scheme, strategize, be prudent, have discretion, even when it comes to the path you take when you walk home because there's no neutral ground on God's earth. Choose a path that doesn't pass by the temptress. True wisdom always understands that there's always an advancing enemy with words like this. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? question God's word. You will not surely die. The consequences aren't as bad as everybody says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. God's holding out for you something good. That if you would just take this step in this way, you can get it for yourself. How many times have those arguments gone through your mind? Thinking specifically in the arena of sex outside of marriage. Did God really say that this thing was reserved for two people? The consequences aren't really that bad. You're being safe. It's good. It's joyful. There, no one's getting hurt. Why would God hold this from you? Sound familiar? Wisdom prepares for that kind of attack and then plans to overcome it when it comes. Holiness is an intentional, active pursuit. In verse 4, we were also introduced to one of the intended recipients of the book. Notice the way in which wisdom travels, according to verse 3 and 4. Wisdom's never stagnant, just sitting around. Wisdom's moving in directions. Notice the way in which it travels. Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Truth number six, wisdom is both received and passed down, or received and given. The, the book was written so that wisdom uh, might be received so that you could then give it. And two words are used parallel with one another for one of the audiences. This book was written to the simple, and then the parallel is to the youth. Simple, it's not being rude or mean here. It's meaning someone who's easily persuaded. Someone who is lacking wisdom. Someone who's uncommitted to living God's way in God's world. Perhaps because they're ignorant of it. Or perhaps because they've gotten too tolerant of their own wisdom. Youth, of course, being the most natural to embody a lack of wisdom. Because they're not born wise. Right? Though teenagers believe they were born with ultimate wisdom, right? They have not lived life yet, 
and have limited views of the world, which is why they get, God has given them parents to help sort of try to help them see wisdom. So this book in very much is, is written so that wisdom might be passed down to the young, given to the young because they're not born with it. Someone must give it to them. In fact, we'll see in a couple weeks, the whole structure of the book assumes that wisdom is passed down in the family unit from fathers and mothers to sons and daughters. Ten of the lectures in the first nine chapters begin with something like this. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Wisdom is meant to be passed down down. That means that throughout this series, everyone in the room, when we listen to a sermon, when we study this book, we're not just studying for our own selves, are we? But rather, we're studying this book for the sake of those around us who will need this instruction. That that It may be our own children, it may be a fellow church member, it may perhaps be a dear family or friend. God gives wisdom, but then he, he spreads wisdom through the obedience of his followers. Read the Proverbs, listen to these sermons with an eye for how you can pass this along to those who need it. But let me warn you, don't read Proverbs and listen to these sermons only for passing these things to other people, right? (laughs) I mean, how many of y'all have been in in one of these sermons and you're like, man, so-and-so needs to hear that, right? (laughs) I hope they're listening, you're kind of eyeing, man, they're not here, I'm going to send them the live stream later. That's, that's okay, that's okay, right? Yeah, we want other people to hear, but if that's where your listening to sermon stops, there's an issue. Notice verse five. Solomon writes, let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtain guidance. And this leads us to our last truth, truth number seven. Wisdom is always listening, learning, and submitting to guidance. Wisdom is always listening, learning, and submitting to guidance. Solomon is clear. Even the person who's wise needs this book. Even the person who's wise needs to increase in learning. Everyone who understands still needs guidance. If you ever think that you are beyond guidance, then you are a fool. If you think you're beyond guidance, then you're not a wise person. If you rarely repent, then you need to repent. If you think you're beyond learning, then you have learned very little of the things of God. I think one of the most frequent themes in the book of Proverbs that has humbled me and surprised me is the theme of wisdom's eagerness to submit to someone else's guidance. One of the most illuminating passages for me in this is in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. Listen to how it's described when you confront someone on a foolish decision they've made. It says in Proverbs 9, verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incures injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man, he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he'll increase in learning. Let me ask you a question, I want you to actually think about this. Are you the kind of person 
who people are afraid to confront because they're afraid of the abuse, injury, or hate that they'll receive from your response? Or are you the kind of person who people are comfortable with confronting because of how you will so appreciate being confronted and how thankful you'll be for the opportunity to grow in wisdom and learning? Just this week, Drew confronted me on something that I had said off the cuff in a group setting, and he, he did it so gently and so wisely. Uh, I had said something just off the cuff and hadn't thought about the unintended consequences of it, and I had made a mistake, and I just thought um, to this passage in Proverbs as, I, as he was doing that, and I'm so thankful that Drew is the kind of man that was willing to have that conversation with me. And I'm thankful that he thought of me as the kind of man who would receive that with thanksgiving and not hostility. His comments will make me much more discerning and careful when I face similar moments in the future. And in fact, a similar situation happened a few days later where I said something in a conversation and I left that conversation and Drew wasn't even there, didn't have anything to do with it, and God convicted me, reminded me of how much my words matter if you're wondering if you are a wise person, ask yourself whether others would describe you as a person who learns, listens, and submits to the guidance of others. Would someone describe you as always increasing in learning or as someone who is always giving out the learning? You find that in relationships, you're always the one giving the counsel. And then you're super uncomfortable if anyone tries to give you counsel. It kind of makes you squirm. Like you're, I'm, not, I'm in the wrong place in this conversation. <laughs> I'm the giver <laughs> of wisdom. Wisdom is always listening, learning, and submitting to guidance. Whew, seven truths. We made it. Seven truths. Number one, to know wisdom is to know how to live in God's world, God's way. Number two, wisdom requires instruction that confronts and corrects Number three, wisdom requires mental understanding of words. Number four, wisdom has communal consequences. Number five, wisdom prepares and plans for enemy assault. Number six, wisdom is both received and passed down. And number seven, wisdom is always listening, learning, and submitting to guidance. And perhaps you're at the end of this sermon and the end of the, that long list of truths, and you're thinking, dadgum, I am not wise. Perhaps you're overwhelmed at the end of the sermon by your own lack of wisdom, by your own pride, your own failures in wisdom that in your life have already had tremendous consequences for your life and the lives around you. Perhaps such a message about the essence and the nature of wisdom doesn't actually encourage you at all. Rather, it just feels kind of crushing. Almost like it's too late <laughs> to turn around and try to pursue this at all. The damage has been done. Perhaps the the damage has been done in your children's lives or family's lives or close friends' lives. The Spirit is bringing conviction, particular sins being exposed that have been there for a long time. And that's how you feel at the end of a sermon on Proverbs. Then you're in a really, really good place to receive the message of Jesus. Because the message of the gospel is very honest about your foolishness. And it's very honest about your failures. The message of the gospel acknowledges wholeheartedly 
that you don't look anything like the preamble of Proverbs. That you haven't looked anything like this. But that Christ came for you anyway. That Jesus came for a world that doesn't look like Proverbs at all. That he came for the world that has rejected chokmah altogether and chose their own wisdom. That Jesus came to take the penalty for your foolishness through his death on a cross, and he came to offer you a new life. He came to offer you to become your counselor, not the one that sees you for an hour or once a week. He came to counsel you day by day, to walk with you, join himself to you, guide you in the way of wisdom. If you're overwhelmed by your foolishness, past or present, then turn to the one who was completely wise on your behalf whom this preamble describes absolutely perfectly. Jesus was wise in all of his dealings. Jesus Jesus was hokma embodied. He was hokma in the flesh. He was there at the beginning of creation. Christ is wisdom. Look to him who was wise on your behalf and who took the penalty of death for fools so that fools like you and me could one day dwell in a world where it was all chokmah all the time. When, you know, when you look in Proverbs, there's an idealistic picture of humanity, the way humanity should work. You realize that this is also a foreshadowing of humanity in the kingdom of God. One day, all of us, there'll be no need for learning, no need for instruction that rebukes. One day we will live in a world where all of us live God's way in God's world. But it's only if you trust the only man who could ever do it perfectly, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. So let's pray and turn our eyes to him. Father, your word says that our calling as Christians, in our calling as Christians, not many of us were wise. Not many of us were powerful. Not many of us were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God, you chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God, you chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So, Father, our boast is not in ourselves, but it's in the presence of God. Because of Jesus, we are in Christ Jesus who became to us our wisdom from God. Our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Let our boast not be in ourselves, but our boast is in the Lord, Father. Help us now to seek the wisdom that's in Christ alone. And Father, may we praise your holy name. Uh, The wise one who created the world as it is, help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name.